certainly appreciate Brian's communion meditation, his message there. I think that's a great reminder for all of us. I need to be reminded of such things often when I come in, uh, when I interact with people uh, around the world, um, even when I think of myself. Uh, the incredible high price that's paid, the same Jesus paying that price for the same people we see all the time, everywhere and all over. Now, some people accept that incredible gift and some people don't, but it is an incredibly high price and a wonderful and beautiful thing that Jesus has done for all of us, and so I appreciate that, Brian. A couple of things before we get too far into this, before we get started. Um, we got a list here. All right, number one. I'm not going to be here next week. Glenn Shady is going to be preaching for us. Glenn Shady is our missionary to Glenn and Jessica Shady to the French Christian Mission. Uh, and every time it seems that I talk to him or every time he has uh, a, a description of what they're doing and, and just, just various numbers, I, I learn something new every time. I, I'm exposed to things that I didn't even knew, know existed uh, and why he is doing this mission in, in France. And so uh, it, uh, it, it really is a, a, a joy listening to him and talking to him. I won't be here, but I've been back and forth on the phone with him. And uh, so anyway, he's, he's around, and so he'll be here next week. I encourage you to be here for that. On the 22nd, it will be Cody. Uh, our student minister is going to teach us on, on uh, the 22nd. Now, I usually would not uh, compliment Cody to his face. I don't believe I've ever done that. Uh, however, uh, I, I am always uh, intrigued and, and surprised sometimes and pleased with his biblical knowledge. He has corrected me uh, from time to time, teaches me, even me, right? Uh, and so uh, it really is quite a joy listening to him teach and his perspective on different things. And so I would encourage you to be here for that as well. He's up there and Brian's up there and and, and Steve's up there. A lot of people are up there on, uh, working behind the scenes. Cody's got a, a class to teach as well. And so, guys, if, if up, we always need help up there. And it's not very difficult, but it's an incredible place to serve. And so if you want to be trained for uh, working up there in the crow's nest, I would please, please encourage you to do that. I would be there if I wasn't here, or I'd be in the nursery, uh, or I'd be teaching a Sunday school class. Those three things. I just like them, you know. I'd, little babies, you know, just be my job on Sunday morning, just carry out little babies. I have changed. I've changed throughout the years, throughout life, you know, but, uh, but in any event, I'm leaving on vacation, so those things are happening. Got my vacation haircut uh, a little short. Um, Jeff Anspaugh cut it for me. I had to tell him to stop. Right. A little bit shorter. He said, that looks good. Yeah. No, um, but... The other thing I want, to, I want you to remember is that we are ha starting a Sunday school class the second Sunday of September. We talked about this over the past couple of weeks. Luke's going to be teaching this. Brian's going to be teaching this. Randy's going to be teaching this. The curriculum is put together by me and, and, and a few other people, and uh, I'm really excited about this. I, I want you to put that on your calendar. The second Sunday in September is when this starts. I've gone through the curriculum, and some of these key passages and some of the, the videos and, and, and all of these resources we have to use, and I'm very excited about it. And so we'll have some more Sunday school classes. The more Sunday school classes we have, the better off we are, the better chance people have to get into Scripture and to learn uh, these incredible truths through, through Scripture. And so I want you to write that on your calendar as well.
I think that's it. All right. I, I am in trouble. Um, well, I'm not in trouble yet, but I'm going to be in trouble. All right. Uh, I was asking Sam the other day. We, we sat down to lunch after last Sunday. And he's going through books of the Bible, the, the New Testament books of the Bible, and he's reciting those, you know, in order. And, uh, you know, that's what he's taught. He's taught that here. He's taught that at school. I mean, just incredible ways in which these teachers work with kids and they remember all this stuff. And so he's, he's laying out these books in the New Testament. And he gets to 1 Thessalonians, and that's where we stop, simply because he can't pronounce Thessalonians. I don't blame him. That's a hard one to do. And uh, I said, man, that's great. I said, that's fantastic, buddy. I said, that's just wonderful. And uh, so then I asked him, I said, well, how many books are in the Bible? Do you know how many books are in the Bible? And, you know, if we, if we count the letters as books, how many books are in the Bible? And he's eating his lunch, you know, and doesn't even look up. He says, all of them, Dad. <laughs> Ashley starts laughing. She says, that's a good answer. Your kids aren't supposed to be smarter than you are. That's a rule. They're not supposed to outwit you or anything like that. And so he drops that one. I, I'm worried now because that sounds very familiar to something I would say or my dad would say uh, when asked that question. So we're going to have trouble. We're going to have problems down the road, I'm sure, if he keeps that up. But uh, that was his answer, all of them. And all of them are there. All the ones that are supposed to be there are the words of God. Uh, laid out and, 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 and formed in wonderfully different uh, poetic forms and narrative forms and, 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 and instructional ways and just letters and, and all kinds of wonderful things that we can read and we can put our minds and our imaginations into. We can begin to be changed and to grow and to see the world and even history in a completely uh, true way, uh, maybe even a completely new way. And it holds, the Bible holds an incredible treasure, an incredible power that can take us and transform literally who we are, what we are, from what we are today to what we might become. How many books are in the Bible? All of them. All the good stuff, all the wonderful things, and even to know the mind of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you that we get to feast upon your word today. Father, we also thank you that we can be challenged. And so I ask, Father, that you will open our minds and our hearts to be challenged, that, that you will give us a, a heart of humility today, a heart of confidence today, uh, and this desire to, uh, to, to believe that your word is real, that it is true, and that it's beneficial for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I like to do this once a year, just different things that Sam has said over the years and kind of fun things. And this is sort of part two to last week's message, uh, introducing us to the Word of God and different aspects of the Word of God. Uh, but this comes from a question that Sam asked some weeks ago, months ago, and I might have shared this with you already because it's been rolling around in my mind and in my head ever since he asked it. Uh, and and. It was, it was a very, very profound question. He didn't understand or see it in the moment, but I did. And it really, this whole message came flooding into my mind at that time. We're at mom and dad's house visiting for something, 
And uh, we're about ready to leave, and Sam sees the Bible there in, in the living room. And I don't mean a Bible, I mean the Bible, right? You know the Bible. that Your family's got the house, got, it's older than the house. It's about this big, sits on the coffee table. It could be the coffee table if you wanted it to. The Bible, right? It's got the whole list of your family in there, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And uh, he sees it sitting there. We're walking out. And again, that's where he asks this incredible question, and it's, it's old and beat up and torn up. And he says, wow, look at that, Dad. And I said, yeah. And he asks, does that thing still work? Does that thing still work? And that's, that's really the time. Ever, ever since the Bible was collected, that's the time we live in. That's the question people have asked and wrestled with. Does that thing still work? It gets boring saying, you know, uh, today is different than yesterday. Well, today, in today's world, it's always been like that. Does that thing, does that thing work? Does it still work? Sometimes we, we hear about just the complete rejection of Scripture throughout time and throughout history. Or we hear about the rejection of parts of it. Well, this part works and that part doesn't. It's all one piece. It's all one package. It's all one God, it's all one mind, it's all one spirit, one word that he lays out to you and I, and it's woven seamlessly throughout time and throughout history. Does that thing still work? The answer is yes, it works as well today as it worked 2,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago and 4,000 years ago and many, many years ago. It works as well today as it did yesterday. It works as well in your life as it did in the life of your parents and your grandparents or great-grandparents. The Word of God works. It's alive and it's active. If we allow it to, and here's the problem, we just don't allow it. We don't let it shape us. We don't let it change the way we think. We don't let it change the way we see things. We don't let it transform who we are into what we might become. And we don't take that seriously sometimes. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Does it still work? There's a whole treasure and a whole, just a whole old bunch of, of things in Scripture that can help us in this wonderful journey called life. You know, I remember, I remember working with a buddy one time. It was, we were in his barn. This was like 10 or 15 years ago. He was trying to make a table. <clears throat> and he was measuring and sawing and cutting and all this stuff. And he had about 15 tools laid out, but he also had out a speed square. He was laying out some lines. I said, man, what, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm just making this and doing that. I said, all these 15 tools you got laying here, you got it right here in this square. I said, this will do all of this stuff for you. You don't got to go hunting around, finding around, looking around, doing this, doing that, measuring this, holding this, let me hold it here while you measure. You can do all of this stuff. He said, really? I said, yeah, you got to just take the time to learn, man. There's like 15 things, tools on this all at once. He says, I've never really just taken the time to see that, to know it, to understand it. That's the same way it is with Scripture. I mean, it's amazing what this thing can do. It's amazing the advice it can give. It's amazing the direction it can give us. I mean, there are things that come into our mind and into our lives and into our hearts that sometimes we find ourselves scared and a little confused. And if we go into Scripture, suddenly these things become clear. The Bible works if we let it work. But we have to let it work in our lives Turn to Mark chapter 4, and while you're doing that, I'll read James chapter 1. James chapter 1, this is on your bulletin. It says, do not merely listen to the word 
and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You ever wonder if God talks to you? People talk about what's God saying, God speaking, God directing, God guiding, you know? And sometimes we pray and we just wait for God to speak. Sometimes we pray and we wait for God to speak audibly or have some incredible sign in front of us. Well, God's going to speak to you today, all right? You ready for it? God's about ready to talk to you. If you've ever wondered what it feels like, what it sounds like when God speaks to you, here you go. You ready? I'm going to do it again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, James chapter 1, verse 22. That's God speaking. These are the words of God. Don't leave the Bible shut and then ask me how I hear God speaking. That doesn't make any sense. All right? If God's going to walk in here, sit down in the front row, because that's always free, if he sits down and wants to say something, I'm going to sit down and let him speak. God wants to speak in your life. He wants to talk to you, sit down, and have a conversation with him through our prayer, our reading, our studying. Don't merely listen to the words and so deceive yourself. Deceive yourself. That's even worse than ignorance. That's worse than just not knowing. That's deliberate trickery. Deceive yourself. Don't just merely listen to the words because you're deceiving yourselves. Do what it says. Oh, is that all? That's easy, right? Well, that's just the hardest thing in the world, isn't it? Do what it says. It is difficult, but everything worth doing is difficult, it seems like, in this life. requires this effort. Anyone who listens to the Word but not, does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. We would call that person a little strange, a little crazy, wouldn't we? It's just not quite there, not playing with a full deck. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, then they will be blessed in what they do. What's blessed mean? Fortunate. What blessed means? Fortunate in what they do. We're in Mark 4. You're in Mark 4. Jesus gives a description of four types of people who have access to the Word of God, the very Word we're looking at today. They have access to the Word of God, and this Word of God works, and it works very well for one type of person. One type. Not all four, but one type. He begins speaking, he's teaching as he often does, Mark 4, starting in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. He teaches by the lake a lot. And the crowd was gathered around him so great, it was so large, that he got into a boat and sat in the boat out in the lake and talked to people on the shore. That's how he was preaching. I mean, there was a bunch of people. You've heard Jesus feeding 5,000, right? I mean, just thousands of people wanting to hear Jesus. A lot of people want to hear Jesus. A lot of people want to hear the Word. A lot of people want to hear the, hear the sermon, believe it or not. A lot of people do. A lot of people want to hear Jesus. They want to walk around with Jesus, listen to the things He's saying, but that's not the same thing as following Jesus. A lot of people want to hear, but not a lot of people want to follow. That's the difference between being, you've heard this before, a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus. That's the difference between being a fan of the Word of God and a follower of the Word of God. A lot of people are fans of the Word of God. There's people who don't even believe in Jesus that are fans of the Word of God. A lot of people are fans of the Word of God. They're not followers of the Word of God. A lot of people were listening to Jesus when He was giving them, quite literally giving them physical bread. 
but also giving him uh, uh, spiritual, giving them spiritual bread in his teaching. But when he turned it up a little bit and said, "Eat my flesh and drink my blood," and you know, walk out, step out on this faith, that was too much for a lot of people. They were interested in listening to Jesus when it was convenient for them. They're interested in reading the Bible when it's convenient for them. They're interested in reading the Bible when it says what they want to do anyway. But they're not interested when it's challenging to them. And the Bible is challenging if we read it for what it is. I'll tell you, Sam likes to play around, but he never likes to play the actual game. When we're practicing baseball, I love practicing baseball with Sam. And, but, but it devolves very quickly, you know, right after we warm up, you know. And now he just wants to do whatever he wants to do, throw this, hit this, go here, run here. It eventually ends in some sort of wrestling match between me and him at the pitcher's mound, on the ground, having fun. This is not baseball, okay? He doesn't like to play the game sometimes. He just likes to play around. Sometimes when it comes to reading the Word of God and understanding the Word of God and applying the Word of God, we like to play around, but we don't actually like to play the game. By the way, as an aside, a couple months ago, I thought it was a good idea to teach Sam how to slide. Don't do stuff like that, all right? Now, you want to teach somebody to slide when you're 16 years old, go for it. Don't teach somebody to slide when you're 40 years old. That's nuts. In fact, I was gonna, that's what I wanted to do. Hey, let's go out. Let's go out and spend an hour. We spent... Three and a half minutes, I think. <laughs> Limp it off. I told him, I said, we're done, buddy. Let's, let's go. Still haven't recovered from that. Teaching. Where do I get off teaching somebody how to slide? Anyway, he likes to play around but not actually play the game. And that's the way a lot of these people are when it comes to the, 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 uh, the teachings of Jesus. It's a lot, the way a lot of people are when it comes to understanding, reading, knowing, and applying the word to our life. Remember what James says, don't merely listen to the word, do what it says. Mark 4, 2. He taught them many things by parables as he's sitting there teaching. Many things, many lessons, many parables, many sayings. And Mark's going to tell us that there's a lot of stuff that Jesus taught that he didn't write down. Yet, with all of these many parables and many things and many teachings, the following story, the parable that we're going to look at, the following story is the one that the Spirit told Mark to write down. So this, this parable that we're going to learn here must be important, must be incredibly important. If Mark says, Jesus taught a bunch of stuff, but I only wrote down a couple things, this has got to be important to us. Perhaps many of these parables from this moment uh, Jesus retold later, listed elsewhere, but here now in this setting, God wanted this one told out of all of them. We're going to find out why this is so important in just a minute. So he tells the story, tells the parable as he's teaching these people, Matthew 4, 3 through 8. Listen, he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, <clears throat> which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil, came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. You've heard this before, haven't you? You've heard this story before. 
I wonder how seriously we take it. I wonder if we do dive into the Word of God and make sure we apply these very words to our lives, just as James says. Or do we just hear it and move on with life? That's the parable. Jesus is going to explain it here in a minute. But we are capable of listening to this, understanding it, and applying it to our lives. After all, that's what Jesus says as he concludes this. Matthew 4, 9, he says, Then Jesus says, Whoever has ears, let them hear. You're capable. You've been given the tools, Jesus says. Do yourself a favor and pay attention to the things I teach. This is a very, very important line for us today, and we'll get there at the very end. And then he goes on to address something that uh, we talked about last week. 10 through 12 says this, when he was alone, after he told that story, <clears throat> when he was alone, the 12 came up to him, and, and, and others, the 12 came up to him and asked him about the parables. We, we looked at this a little bit last week. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you guys, okay? But, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, what? Otherwise, they would turn and I would forgive them. The disciples believe in Jesus, and they were specifically and specially called to receive Him and receive this teaching. Special place, a special revelation. Others, though, were not, and others did not believe in Jesus. And so Jesus tells His disciples, why do I teach in parables? Because all of these other people, they have to seek. They have to. They have to seek it. They have to learn it. They have to know it. They have to ask questions about it. They have to desire it in order to understand. They have to want to grow, to want to know this truth. Same way with us. That's why Jesus speaks in parables. That's why my sermons are so confusing and hard to follow. You got to want it. That's why He speaks in parables. That's why the Bible is designed the way it is. Matthew 7, 7, ask, says Jesus, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. This is what he wants these people to do. That's why he does this in parables. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is not going to withhold from you understanding in Scripture if you want to know Scripture. He's not going to withhold from you opportunity of applying Scripture if you want to apply the things you learn. He says it's there to give. I've got more to give. All you've got to do is ask. Ask, ask, and it will be given. The more and more we want, the more and more we desire. You see, when we seek, when we learn, when we ask, when we know, when we put into practice the things that we have learned, it becomes a part of who we are. It becomes this simple understanding, almost a way of life, a way of identifying ourselves. And so for every situation and every moment and every question and every different place we find ourselves, we don't have to stop and rethink of what the Bible says. No, it just becomes a part of our life. It becomes this filter through which we see the world. I'm having the dickens of a time trying to teach Sam how to shift on the four-wheeler. The old four-wheeler was a little tiny. He didn't have shift. Now he's got a bigger one. He's got a shift. <coughs> It's so hard to teach him that because when I get on it, you, you, many of you, you know the same thing, it, you don't think about it. If you think about it, you're going to mess it up. It's just a natural thing to go through, you know, the clutch and the you know, shift, and you just boom, go. Stop thinking about it, just go. <clears throat> when you got to try to teach somebody that, it's difficult, you know, and all this stuff running through his head. And finally, I told Sam, 
I said, buddy, you just got to feel it. It's a feel. It's a sound. It's a, you just got to become a part of it. It's got to become a natural way of doing things. And he's trying. He's fumbling through, you know, trying to, I'm waiting, you know. I'm just sitting behind him. He hit the truck a couple of times. It's just the way it goes, right? And he's going through it. I said, buddy, we got we to keep practice. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Because it's the same, and it's the same way with Scripture. It, the more you do it, the more it becomes a part of you, the more you read, practice, and apply. Now, I don't have to wonder what Scripture says. I don't have to wonder what the situation is going to be. I know what Scripture is. It becomes a part of what I am and who I am. Now, are there other places that I need to know and need to learn more and need to make more a part of my life? Absolutely. That gets strengthened. But there's other places in Scripture that just it's almost a natural thing. And you begin to act and respond to it in that way. That's when you seek. That's when you know and you understand. You ask and you study. If it's just an answer given, it's basically wasted. I know a lot of people who've been given the answer. And that answer just falls on deaf ears. Actually, it falls on an empty heart. They don't do anything with it. You've got to seek it. Verse 13, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? They asked him, what does this mean? Jesus says, don't you understand this parable? How are you going to understand any parable? Now we know why Mark wrote this one down. Now we see why this is so important. Look at what he's saying. Jesus says, if you don't get this, you're not going to get any of it. If you don't understand what I'm talking about here, you're not going to understand any of it. If you think about it, this ought to be the very first thing we go to in Scripture when it comes to Jesus. This ought to be the parable. It ought to be the lesson. Because i got to know this one if I'm going to understand fully anything else. There are many lessons about the Word. There are many parables about the kingdom of God all through Scripture. Even in in the epistles there are some. Here we talk about the significance of receiving the Word in our lives. And if we don't understand this, then we will not understand any of it. So he explains, verse 14, the farmer sows the word. The farmer is God, the Holy Spirit. He is fully God, completely God, 100% God. He's not less of a God. He's not just a part of God. He is completely God. God, the Holy Spirit, sows the word. He sows the word to you. He sows the word to me. He broadcasts the word around the world. It is his. He wrote it. He owns it. We know from, chapter, we know from John chapter 1 that he is the word. The Holy Spirit and the Word are one. He is the one that opens our eyes. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit convicts the heart. He opens the ears. He allows us to understand. It is His Word. He's the farmer. He's sowing it in your life. He's giving it to you. It is extremely powerful. It's extremely useful. And that's why Paul refers to the Bible as the sword of who? The sword of the Spirit. He owns it. He's the, he's the farmer. Verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Another way of saying that is, I don't know and I don't want to know. I don't know and I don't want to know. Yeah, I know of the word. I've heard of the word. I've even heard people read it. Simple fact is, I don't care. Are they gaining anything from hearing the word? Absolutely. The word never comes back empty. We know that. But they just don't care. I don't know, and I don't want to know. Sometimes, well, you've 
understand, you've said this before, it goes in one ear and out the other. And I'll tell you, this rejection of the Word, this apathy towards the Word really doesn't matter where we are. We could even be sitting in the church walls. And we hear the Word of God and we say, honestly, I don't care and I don't, I don't, I don't want to know. It's really not that important. Boy, that's an easy target for Satan. And that's what Jesus talks about. It's an easy target for Satan. He doesn't even need to work on this one. Just a few whispers. That's all it takes. A few whispers towards the apathetic heart of, oh, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Trust me, man, it's no big deal. Does this really apply to your life today? You've got other things on your mind. It's no big deal. It's really not that important. A few subtle whispers from Satan like that to the one who really doesn't care, and he's got you. He's got you. It's also so much easier for him to get those you teach. Guys, we got kids, we got grandkids, loved ones in our homes. Let me ask you this. Is the word used in your home? Is it talked about? Is it referenced? Is Jesus a topic of conversation? Is the word read? Like I'm, I, look, I, I'm not. Speak from experience. I'm not, it's not a competition, guys. But still, I remember every morning, we would get up, go down stairs. Dad sit ahead of the table. Always had a grapefruit for some reason, and he had his Bible open. Sit down. Here we go. Let's start the day. Is it a part of your life? It's part of your home. You know, every child at some point says this. They think this. They say, well, if mom and dad don't care, I don't care. Why should I? Why? Because I'm relying upon mom and dad for wisdom and protection. So if they don't care, I don't have to care. Why should I care? What's the Bible like in your home? And it's just crazy to think people want their kids or grandkids or whoever it is to grow up and know the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible, have the Bible become a part of their lives, and they don't surround themselves with the Bible, that it's not a thing in their own life. I mean, that's just crazy. We become prisoners of sin. We become prisoners of death and of Satan when it goes in one ear and out the other. And we, we do all that without even putting up a fight. I don't know, and I don't want to know. I just don't care. That's the word. That's the word sown on the path. For the next two, that's, that's outside the church. Let's get inside the church. For the next two, let's go inside the church. 16 and 17. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And this is time after time after time after time. Sadly, these people are just relegated to a statistic. Ah, he's gone. Another one fell away. Another one disappeared. They're out of here. They've given up. They've stopped. Look, this is an enthusiastic, emotional acceptance of Jesus, but it is only superficial. It's incredibly superficial. It's not deep. There's no foundation. There's no root. There's no growing in the Word. And why is it superficial? Because the cost is not counted. You know what the cost is? You know what the cost is to follow Jesus? The cost is your life. Don't put anything else in there. Your life. Jesus gave his life. Now he wants your life so he can save it. Not a part of your life. Not Sunday morning of your life. Not the good days of your life or the bad days of your life. He wants your life. And if you're not prepared to pay that cost, do not follow Jesus. If you are, then follow Jesus. 
be saved eternally. That's the cost. Yes, I want to accept eternal life, but I don't want to be in the Word. I don't want to submit. I don't want to obey. I don't want to put in the practice. I don't want to live out what I claim. That's the problem. The first bump in the road ends up derailing these folks who have been presented with the Word of God. Yeah, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's dangerous. Sometimes it's trouble. Other times it is merely inconvenience or a difference of opinion between me and God. And I've given up on the Word. That root begins to weather. They have no belt of truth. Remember, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, from a few weeks ago. Bow down to this golden calf or you're going into the fiery furnace. And all three of those boys said, well, I guess we're going to the furnace, pal. And we ain't bowing down. I don't know if it was actually said just like that, but you get the gist of it. <laughs> Y'all were going to the furnace. That's somebody with a belt of truth. That's somebody who knows the Word of God, hears the Word of God, applies the Word of God, and it becomes a part of who and what they are. They have given their life to God Himself. Sometimes life gets difficult, but the Word of God never fails if we continue to trust it and allow it to permeate our lives. If someone has no belt of truth, they don't allow the Word to guide their lives. They're not dedicated to the Holy Scriptures. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose. That's the bad stuff Jesus is talking about. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. And why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. But verse 26 says, but everyone who hears these words of mine <clears throat> and does not put them into practice. See, when we read that, we think <clears throat> anyone who does not hear the Bible. <laughs> no, Jesus says anyone who hears it and doesn't practice it is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. That root must be cultivated, a firm foundation in knowledge of Scripture and application, practice of Scripture. That's how you build this firm foundation in the Word of God. That's what Jesus says. Church, Jesus does not want your words. He does not want your emotion. He does not want your title, your station, your place, your this, your that. He doesn't want that. He wants you, all of you. He wants your life. And your life means I'm going to follow the Word of God. John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you are going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. <clears throat> Verses 18 through 19. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the world, making it unfruitful. Now, what is Jesus doing? He's going to the other end of the scale. He was on this end of the scale, someone who hears the word and is just oppressed by life. Now he's going to the other end of the scale, someone who hears the word and frankly is living the good life. These are the movers and shakers. These are the guys building their kingdom, right? I mean, they're going somewhere. They're a shooting star. It isn't the bad life, the trouble that we just saw. It's the opposite. These are not the down and outs. This is what we might call the good life. My kingdom is being built. I don't have time for God's, much less to hear what He has to say. And why? Because if I read the Word and I try to understand it, I will be confronted by a choice. My kingdom or His. My kingdom or His. 
Now, the hope is, the goal is, what happens with reading Scripture, what happens with practicing that, that in your life, your kingdom and His kingdom begin to come together all at the same time. But we are confronted with that question, my kingdom or His? I'm not sure which of these two scenarios <clears throat> is more destructive or quicker to ignore the power of the Word, but both can be very dangerous, these examples Jesus is using. Agar understood this in Proverbs 30 when he says this, Two things I ask of you, O Lord, don't refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I, have, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. He understood the risk. Jesus understood the risk. And not the certainty. Not the certainty. Jesus is not for a second suggesting that everybody who's, you know, building, uh, you know, wonderful things in this wonderful life and going someplace. Jesus is not saying that automatically you're going to reject the Word of God. And also on the other end, He's not saying those who are beat down or pressed and hard, you know, pressed by life, that they're automatically going to reject the Word of God. He says, this is what those who reject the Word of God are like. These two hardships, these two extremes, these two dangers in their life. And frankly, these last two scenarios are perhaps, I think, the most tragic, even more than the one who doesn't care about the Word. Ask the question, what happened? We were watching uh, Captain America, the new Captain America movie. That's not new now, I guess. But we were watching that the other day. Me and Sam, I've probably shared this with you, maybe. Me and Sam and Ashley. And Captain America is just transformed from the little kid, you know, scrawny kid into the, into the Captain America, right? You know, with the, the special ingredients and all this stuff. You know, big Captain America, muscular, you know, good-looking dude, you know, opens the, opens the whatever he's in, the box he's in, and there's Captain America, you know, in all of his glory. And Sam's watching this, you know. He says, wow. He said, did they do that to you, Dad? better believe it, son. <laughs> I'm telling you, for 24 hours, I was strutting everywhere. I was strutting when I was sitting still for 24 hours. And then 24 hours later, we're heading to school, and we're walking outside, and he, we're walking on the porch there, and he gets to the end of the steps, and there's something on the ground he wanted to see. I don't know what it was. It was a bug or a rock or something. Anyway, he's looking at it like this, and I'm, I'm walking up, about ready to go down the steps. He says, hold on, Dad, stop. And he has his hand on my stomach. And without even looking at me, he squeezes it. He says, Dad, what happened? <laughs> Captain America, best 23 hours and 59 minutes of my life. <laughs> Captain America's no more. What happened? You ever ask that? I've, I've asked that. I've thought that. I, and I, I'm serious about that. I've thought that about other people. I've thought that about myself. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, the words we say, the, the, the attachment we have, the study we have of the Word, you ever, you ever see somebody's life and they're not even, seems like a part of Jesus' kingdom anymore, and you ask yourself, man, what happened? What happened? Why'd you give up? Why'd you walk away from this? Why did you completely reject the word? What happened? I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about. These people heard the word. And because of the different things in life, they gave up on it. Just can't do it anymore. I mean, that's tragic. That's sad. What happened? What happened? I even asked that about myself. Many times, many places. 
Look, we give up on the word, our minds, our hearts, our priorities and convictions begin to crumble. But here's the good part. Here's the good part. And it's that small line from verse 9 that I said was so very important. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. See, the good part is if you're hearing this passage, if you're reading this parable, if you're understanding this parable, regardless of yesterday, it's not too late to define yourself by a studier of Scripture or as a studier of Scripture. Who cares about yesterday? Forget about that. I mean, if, 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 if the application and study and depth and understanding of Scripture has never really been a part of your life, make right now, because we don't have a lot of time, make right now day one. Make it day one. I mean, after all, Jesus would not have taught them this if they were beyond all hope. He wouldn't teach us this if we were beyond all hope. If you have ears to hear, hear what Jesus has just said. Make the Word of God a part of your life. Know it, study it. And by the way, if you don't know where to start, you call me. I'll tell you where to start. I'll tell you where I start and why I start there. And we can go through it together. And now for the church itself, Mark 4.20, others are like seeds sown on good soil. They hear the Word, they accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. It produces results. Results in your life. Results of holiness, results of righteousness. But what specifically? What crop? That's what I wondered. Jesus didn't go into detail. After all, this sword belongs to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sower. The Holy Spirit is the farmer. But more specifically, the Holy Spirit is a fruit farmer, we know from Scripture. The Holy Spirit is a fruit farmer. And so what's the crop? Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. This is that picture of the superhero we would make. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit by knowing, understanding, and applying His Word. Church, don't deceive yourself. I just noticed you sitting back there, Don. Good to see you. How you doing? All right, good. All right. We got 30 seconds more to go. It's good to see you, Don. Apply it to your life. The Word still works, church, if we allow it, if we let it. The Word works if we know it, we understand it. can change your life. Remember, you read it, not for information, for transformation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Word is given to us joy, given to us for our peace, given to us for our comfort, our, our, our challenge, our direction. We thank you that it's given to us to see us through this life. We thank you, Father, that you care about us enough to bestow us with your word, that we might feast upon it and be changed, be transformed from where we are today to where we might be, what we might become. Father, help us to believe. Help us to put our pride aside. Help us to humble ourselves and accept, to, 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 even if we stumble through it, to accept making this word and everything it has to offer a part of our lives. Father, we don't want to be these other three people. We want to be the one who, who, who produces this incredible crop, yes, for other people, but even in our own lives, our own hearts. I want love. I want joy and peace and patience and kindness, all these wonderful things, Father. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
Your 